Uh, I hope that uh, many of you have been uh, reading the devotionals that uh, the pastoral staff and have been uh, sending out daily. And uh, if you're not receiving that email, you can go to the church uh, Facebook page and, uh, and find them there. Today's uh, devotional from uh, our good friend uh, Don Ballard, who uh, still should be referred to as Pastor Don, even though he, he's ministering uh, through uh, Arrow Ministries to, to families in need right now instead of a, a local church congregation he's done for many years, wrote uh, the devotional that went out this morning. And uh, it talks about the man named Simeon, who was there when Jesus uh, was brought as a baby to be presented at the temple. And uh, we find that, uh, we find that uh, passage in Luke chapter 2, uh, beginning um, at verse 22. It says this, uh, Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for the purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And that day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. And he took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. And he is a light to reveal God to the nations. And he is the glory of your people, Israel. And Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years, and then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. And she came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph. And she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. And when Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. And there the child grew up healthy and strong. And he was filled with wisdom. And God's favor was with him. There's uh, just a, a few observations that I just... There's lots of sermon material in this passage, but there's just a few observations I want to make about this story and, and bring to us. Um... The first is this. Jesus came from a family that honored God. He came from a family that honored God. 
Mary and Joseph, when you, when you read the, the birth account from both Luke and from Matthew, Mary and Joseph were obedient to God, in particular the special calling that was put on their lives to have Jesus come into the world and be placed in their care. But, but they were also, as we read the, the, the story here, they were following the God-honoring customs of their tradition and their time and, and their religion. They, uh, they did as was necessary in, in the customs there. Eight days after Jesus was born, he was taken to be circumcised, and that was when he was officially named. That was how things were done there. And then about 40 days or so after Jesus was born, when he was five or six weeks old, after the, the time of purification, they called it, for, for the mother, Jesus was taken to the temple in Jerusalem to be presented to the Lord. In some ways, that, that, that moment for Mary and Joseph would have been like the moments that we've had so many times here in this place with many of you bringing your children to be dedicated uh, to the Lord. We've, we, we get to do lots of that around here. It's one of the, the great joys of, of our church. So in, in many ways, you could identify with Mary and Joseph. That's kind of what they were doing when we read about this passage. It was similar to them coming to church that day and bringing their baby to be dedicated to the Lord. But um, there's a little bit of difference in what they did. When, uh, when we bring our children to be dedicated here and the pastor meets the family uh, down front and we say a few words of commitment from the parents because that act is really more about the parents than it is the child at that time. And we, uh, we, pray, a, we pray a prayer and uh, we show the baby off. But, but when, you, when you did this in the day of Jesus' infancy, the parents had to bring a price, a cost. Something had to be sacrificed according to their customs. And it was something that, that would cost them something. And Mary and Joseph it tells us, didn't have a lot of money. Instead of being able to bring a lamb, which would have been the best sacrifice, all they could afford was a poor man's sacrifice of a couple of pigeons. But they honored God with what they had. And that was the important thing. I want to just ask you quickly today, a couple of days here before Christmas, what about your family? Is your family a family that honors God? Would that be an accurate description of your family? And I'm particularly talking to those of you that are here today as moms and dads. What about that? Is that an accurate description of the family, of the household that you've been given the privilege and responsibility for? Do you have a family? Uh, hey, Pastor Jeffrey, I'm here at church. Congratulations and thank you. I, it's always important to me that people are here. Trust me. But is your family, your household, one that honors God? If you're a parent who's brought your children down front and dedicated them, and when you did that, I talked to you about, about your responsibility and especially about your responsibility to teach and to lead that child to know the Lord. Just another day here to say, how you doing with that commitment? 
I pray you're doing well. A second observation. In, in this passage here, we see a picture of a new way. And I could really get kind of off and deep here, but I'll try not to. It just, it, this just hit me this week that the, the law, the term the law is mentioned nine times in the Gospel of Luke. Just nine times. And five of those times are in the passage that I just read to you. The law begins to fade and fade throughout the rest of the gospel, which to me is a picture of the new way. That this child that was announced that day and presented there in Jerusalem in the temple was saying there's a new way to God now. In the past, it's been about perfectly following the rules and regulations, or at least uh, keeping more of them than you break. But now it's all changed. Now the way to God is through a person who perfectly offers grace and truth. And his name's Jesus. And as the gospel will continue to tell us, he lived, he was crucified, he is risen, and he's reigning. There's a new way. A third observation, quickly. The Redeemer and the light that He brings is for all people. The Redeemer's light is for all people. In verses 30 through 32, when, when Simeon was speaking over Jesus, he said, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and He's the glory of your people, Israel. The Redeemer's light is a light for all people. All nations, all colors, all kinds, no matter uh, who you are, where you're from, or what you've done. About three or four years ago, uh, time runs together for me, but I think it was about three or four years ago, we had a special privilege that, that came up for us one, one weekend here, one Sunday. A very good friend of, uh, of my family since I was about 12 years old is a, is a pastor in Meridian, Mississippi, right there on near the border of Mississippi and Alabama. His name is Reverend Charles Johnson, and he had to be here in Houston for a funeral. And when I found that out, I asked him if he would uh, please uh, preach here. Charles Johnson uh, has pastored an African-American church of the Nazarene in, in Meridian, Mississippi for for over 50 years now. And he uh, has been just an important person in, in the, the life of our family. I, I found out something. I knew that, that Brother Charles had, had marched with Dr. King, and, and I knew he'd been involved in civil rights things back in the 60s and, and 70s and, and uh, been a, such an important part of his community. But I found out something this week that I, that I didn't know in detail. Um, maybe some of you have seen uh, uh, the movie Mississippi Burning with, uh, who's in that, Gene Hackman and Willem Dafoe, and it's a, acted very well. And it, it's not necessarily a biographical, but, but it, it brings out a, a true-to-life story about um, the killing of three young civil rights workers in Mississippi in 1964. And uh, those episodes became pretty famous. There were three young men, Michael Schwerner, James Chaney, and Andrew Goodman, 
that were killed in Neshoba County, Mississippi in June of 1964. I didn't know this at all until this week, but Brother Charles had befriended, had befriended Michael Schwerner. Michael Schwerner, of the three young men that were killed, was, was a white young man from New York. And when he came to Meridian several months earlier as a part of the, a deal that was called the Freedom Summer, and there were a lot of students that came from the Northeast into Mississippi to educate uh, to educate uh, African-Americans on their voting rights. And uh, Brother Charles became acquainted with Michael Schwerner, and, uh, and eventually, because of that, he would become a prosecution witness in the 1967 federal court case um, of those that killed those three young men, uh, 18 different men who were part of the Ku Klux Klan in that area. And eight, uh, eight of those men were uh, eventually charged and convicted and sent to prison for up to 10 years for violating the civil rights charges of those young men because they couldn't get a murder conviction based on the area. And I found that out that, uh, that Pastor Charles had befriended that young man um, who, who lost his life tragically. But I just also found out this, this, uh, this piece of the story, if you can stay with me. One of the men that was convicted in that whole terrible, gruesome scene where they killed those three young men and then buried, buried them out in the Indian reservation. One of those men was a guy named Alton Wayne Roberts. And uh, Alton Wayne Roberts was, was sent to prison he was sent to Leavenworth Federal Prison in Kansas. And in 1977, after being in prison for 10 years, uh, this guy, Alton Wayne Roberts, who had once been a Golden Gloves champion boxer, now was much frailer and thinner, having spent that time in prison. And he came and he knocked on Pastor Johnson's door. And he, he stood there before Brother Charles that day and said, I have come here today to apologize to you and to beg your forgiveness. I was young and mixed up and doing terrible things. And he gave to, to Brother Charles this uh, painted picture, a framed landscape that he had learned how to paint some while he was in, in prison. And he gave him that portrait. And then he also held out a string of freshly caught fish that he just caught in the lake nearby. And he said, I want you to have these. And Brother Charles said that, uh, that, that Alton Wayne Roberts stood in front of him just trembling there, holding those fish out. And Charles looked at him and said, I forgive you, my brother. And he walked uh, arm in arm with him to the front yard gate. Alton Roberts died just a few years later. I submit that the forgiveness that was in Brother Charles' heart that day for somebody who would do something as gruesome and awful and horrific as what Mr. Roberts did, the reason that forgiveness was there was because of this. The Redeemer's light is for all people. All people. Another final observation before I move on to kind of the main thing that I want to say out of this passage today. And that's, uh, 
in this part of the still we'll still call it the Christmas story and connected to the larger Christmas story we we meet characters with whom we can identify when I look through the Christmas story in Luke and in Matthew and the, the whole thing I, I find so many different kinds of characters that seemingly anybody any of us could find something to have something in common with you first of all you've got Mary who's a young teenage girl who's pregnant and in trouble and then has given, is given this huge calling and responsibility. You've got Joseph. He's just a common man. He's just a common carpenter from a small town who's trying to do the right thing. Trying to do the right thing by, by his fiance, by his family, by his town, and ultimately by the Lord. You've got the shepherds. In their society, they're outcasts. They're out on the edge of town. They're, they're not privileged people. They're outcasts. And they receive the news that Jesus is born. You've got the wise men. They're wealthy, educated, got a lot going for them. All kinds of different people. And then in this story, we find Simeon and Anna who I'm just going to describe to you today as old folks with a great attitude, which is something I aspire to. And I'm just moving, moving on up. 2013 is going to be the year when I've been on this earth a half century. And I'll get to join some of you elders out here that I'm, that I'm looking at. I didn't mean to look that way. I meant, I meant, I meant you, Mike Carr. Um, But they're old folks with a, with a great attitude. What I see in them is people who were remaining faithful and hopeful for the Lord to do a new thing. And they were showing other people the way when it happened. I, I want to I be like that. I was talking about this kind of conversation last Sunday with, with my good friend Diane Graves. And she reminded me about the... A uh, wonderful lady that went to be with the Lord in my first year or two here, Winnie Westmoreland. And, and uh, if you ever need some wisdom, Diane's just got a whole list of wisdom from Winnie, as she calls it. And one of the things that she said, uh, Winnie said when she was about 80 years old was this. Just when I was old enough to know the answers, nobody will ask me the questions. I want to move now to the, to the, the main thing, the main thing that, uh, that I see in this, in this passage today. And it's this truth. Jesus, the baby born in Bethlehem whose birthday we celebrate, Jesus brings truth to light. And when he brings the truth to light, it demands a decision. He demands a decision. After, after this uh, beautiful prophecy over the baby that Simeon gave, which I, I, I read to you earlier, after that beautiful, glorious, exciting prophecy over Jesus about him being the, the one who, through whom salvation will come and for all people and a light to the nations and the glory of Israel, after that proclamation over over baby Jesus, 
Simeon turns to, turns to Mary and Joseph, and he, he says this. We read about it in verse 33 of Luke chapter 2. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. And as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And the sword will pierce your very soul. I heard a saying a while back that anyone who turns on the light creates shadows. And when the true light comes, things get exposed. Things get revealed. And when we come into contact with the real Jesus, you and I are faced with a moment of decision. And I believe it happens many times. And he's not interested in, in us just having nice thoughts about him. He calls us to follow him and to follow him wholeheartedly. I, I think a way we could look at it today is, is like this. It, if you would think of your, of your heart um, as, uh, as having a boardroom, a, a room with a, with a large table in it, maybe a, a big table, leather chairs, uh, coffee pot, bottled water, the, the whiteboard or a pr projector and a screen there, and there's a committee sitting around the table of your heart. And around that table of your heart, there's the social self, there's the, uh, the private self, there's the, the work self, there's the, the sexual self, the recreational self, the religious self, and maybe a few other random board members of your heart. And the board member, the committee there, they argue, they debate, they, they vote. Some members are constantly aggravated and upset. And rarely, very rarely can all the members of your heart's committee come to a unanimous, wholehearted decision. And we say, well, it's, it's just that way because life is just so busy. And there's just so much going on. And we just have so many responsibilities in so many different areas to deal with and so many different people and so many different things. But the truth is, your heart's just unfocused. It's divided. And that kind of person can uh, receive or accept Jesus maybe Maybe a couple different ways. One way is to invite Jesus, who we've described today as salvation for all people, the light for all nations. One way is to accept Jesus and invite him to join the committee. Give him a vote. Jesus, when we have discussions about who I am and what I'm going to do, you get a vote. 
But then he just becomes one more voice, one more complication, one more person you need to lobby. But there's another way to accept Jesus, and that's to say to him, you know what, my life and this arrangement we've got going here, it's not working out too well. Jesus, what I want you to do is come in and fire the committee. Some of you would like to do that in real life. But in your heart, say, Jesus, I'd like you to come in and fire the committee, every last one of them. I'm just handing the whole thing over to you. And I am your responsibility now. And I want you to run my life wholeheartedly. I believe Simeon saw this in the baby Jesus that he held in his arms that day. He at least saw a glimpse of it. And what he saw reminds us, too, that when Jesus cast light on us, he cast light on the most important movement in our lives. Whether you're moving toward God or away from Him. The most important thing in anybody's life in this room today, more important than whether or not the Texans beat the Vikings, more important than any gift you're going to receive, more important than that last-minute gift that you haven't purchased yet, more important than what you're going to eat together or who's going to show up this year. The, more important than your job. More important than anything going on in your life, period. The most important thing in your life is whether or not you're moving towards God or away from Him. So I ask you today, what direction are you headed? The direction you're headed is not an accident. <laughs> It's about the choices you're making. And just like Simeon said would happen through Jesus, your heart is revealed before the Lord today. So does your heart belong to Him? Does your life belong to Him? Your life, the direction of it, the, it it's making an impact your life and the direction you're going, whether toward God or away from God, it's making an impact. It's making a difference. It's influencing others. And you're either influencing other people's lives to move toward God or away from them. Depends on what direction you're living your life. My brother Michael is uh, he's a good writer. Uh, he enjoys writing. I, I kind of write when I have to. But uh, he, he does it just out of a love for it. And, and, and my brother, uh, just in the last few days, kind of did a, a blog. I didn't, even, I didn't know he had a blog, but, but I, I, I discovered it somehow. And um, he, was, he, he wrote in that blog, and, and, and of course, like so many people right now in our culture, he's reflecting on the stuff that's going on in our world, and especially what happened a few days ago in Connecticut. 
as the nation continues to wrestle with and kind of grieve over the whole deal that happened with those precious kids and, and teachers. And, and like a, a, a lot of people uh, have referred to it, my brother referred to the, the words in uh, the Christmas song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Before that song was ever put to music, it was a poem written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. In 1863, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's son was a, a soldier for the Union Army, and he was severely wounded in the Civil War. And then, not too long before Christmas, his wife, Frances, was tragically killed in, in a fire, an accidental fire. And on Christmas Day of 1863, he wrote the words to, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. I'm not going to give you the, the whole words. There's, there's one of the last verses, though, that says this. That the reason my brother referred to it in the, in the blog was because of what's going on in our nation. And, and the verse goes like this. It says, and in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells, more loud and sweet. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth and goodwill to men. My brother wrote, he said, it, he said that with what went on there at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut, and a lot of the other stuff in our world today, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, and peace on earth, goodwill to men, maybe sounds like a fantasy. But he shared a few ideas, I'm not going to read them all to you, but he shared a few ideas of how in our lives it doesn't have to be a fantasy. And in thinking about you leaving this place and, and moving on to the next couple of days or more of time with friends and family, I thought a couple of his ideas would be worth sharing. How to bring some peace, some peace to the earth around you. The first one is this. Let somebody, anybody, off the hook. Let somebody off the hook. My brother, more so than I am, is a Seinfeld fan, the, the sitcom. And uh, he says, I don't mean that I like to be uh, as shallow as some of the characters are uh, in their life, but he said, I think it's good writing and generally funny. I've seen several episodes myself, including the one that he referred to. He, he refers to an episode that uh, talks about uh, George's father, creating a holiday called Festivus. Some of you are chuckling because you know about Festivus for the rest of us. Okay? And uh, in that, uh, George's dad says, uh, before anyone can eat at Festivus, there must be the airing of grievances. 
you are obligated to tell the family members how disappointed you've been in them this year. It's one of the requirements of the, the holiday that you made up. <laughs> you talk about taking a potentially happy occasion and then turning it into a, a rough thing. My brother wrote, he said, nothing we do today can undo the past, but we can choose to make the best of today in hopes of an even better tomorrow. We can hold on to the pain and resentment of what someone has done to us in the past, but we seldom feel better for it. It's difficult, but with God's help, we can find a way to forgive. And he said, I've tried it. And it can work. One final thing. He said making peace with others could start an avalanche of goodness. And I'm going to add to my brother's word there and say making peace with others could start an avalanche of grace. He said, I know we can't solve all the geopolitical issues of our day. I know we can't keep nation from fighting against nation. I know people are hungry. I know there are so many things we can't seem to control. But if we did just what we could, what if our decision to be kind to whom we can, where we can, ended up making a difference in even just a few lives? In light of that, in light of the fact that uh, everything is revealed before the Lord today, in light of the fact that you're about to move on to family and gatherings and gatherings of friends and different things over the next couple of days and maybe even the next week or so, and you're headed into a new year, what direction are you headed? And what direction are you leading others? I want to pray with you today. I'd just like for you to bow your heads. Father, I thank you so much for your, your presence in our lives. Thank you so much for the fact that in spite of who we are and in spite of the choices you knew we would make you came to us and the, the way you came is it's incredible it's not a way that any of us would have ever thought of but it was the perfect way it's the right way and we thank you for the presence of Jesus Christ in our lives, in our church, in our homes. And Lord, as I, as I look out on your people today and look out on the people in this room, I pray that all of our hearts would be turned towards you. I pray that we would have a, a desire to walk towards you and to lead others in your direction.
I pray for the, the fathers in this room today. I pray that you would uh, give the fathers that say they trust in you, I pray that you'd give them the boldness, Lord, to, to lead their, their families and their children towards you. I pray for the moms here today, Lord, that, that with all the responsibilities that they have, that you would uh, encourage them in their spirits today and their hearts would be drawn to you. Lord, I, I pray for every family gathering and, and moment that's going to happen in, over the next few days. And I recognize, Lord, that there are some in this, in this place today that are probably dreading that, at least some of those moments. Some are going to venture into family gatherings with, with people that they're in conflict with. Some will venture into into moments with people that are antagonistic towards their faith, maybe even towards you and your church. And I just pray that uh, your Holy Spirit will guide and lead and point others in your direction. Pray for people that will be traveling, Lord, that you would watch over them, protect them. And I pray that our children... pray that our children in these next couple of days and in the special events will experience real, real joy and happiness and peace. And I pray that you'll give some, some parents and grandparents or aunts and uncles the, the moment, the ability to, to speak into our children's lives of what this whole holiday is really all about. Lord, I thank you so much. You're so faithful and so good to all of us. Turn our hearts toward you. Help us to live our lives in worship to you. God's people said, Amen.